Welcome to the Voices of Manufacturing, where business leaders across the country share their unique challenges and insights. We want to help people within manufacturing and make them excited to come to work every day and go home safe to their family. When you bring people in, they're anything but a machine. They're partners that can help you build your business, that can be your success if you treat them right. It's almost like magic because it takes the learning process sometimes from weeks down to days, sometimes hours. This podcast is brought to you by Dazuki the premier frontline digital transformation solution that allows manufacturers to standardize operations. And now here are your hosts, Brian Salee and Michael Mullenberg. Michael, I don't know uh, if it's just a coincidence, but we, we seem to be on this streak where each guest that we bring on is somewhat connected to the previous guest, whether it's the topic or they knew each other. Uh, and this, this episode is actually a great continuation from uh, our last conversation, you know, we were talking about leading through growth and you were sharing some of your insights about the things companies need to do as they're going through these growth phases. And the topic today just seems to fit perfectly with that. Cause I couldn't imagine uh, a tool that could be more useful at a time when you're going through really, really fast growth and you need to get aligned as an organization. Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, this tool and our, our guest today? Yeah, well. You know, when I mentioned uh, last episode about returning to fundamentals, uh, this is one of the, the methodologies, one of the tools, one of the thought processes that I had in mind. And um, you know, just thrilled that uh, Karen Martin can be with us today. Um, I, I've read her books. I've known her as an author for quite a long time, um, but we finally met in person a year ago. And uh, just every, every little you know, story and every little bit of wisdom just gets me excited to be on this transformational journey. So we're so happy to have her here today. Um, Karen, welcome. First of all, uh, great to see you. Um, Thank you. And, uh, we, see you we, all. Both, we both survived, uh, AME Cleveland this year. Uh, that was really fun. That was very fun. And there was, there was some consistent. Relax and sleep and, and, and recharge. <laughs> that was a lot of energy there. It was great. Well, well, there was with the conference. And every time I looked over at your booth, there was a line around the, you know, around the corner. Um, so obviously you're attracting a lot of attention. I, I think what I took away was a lot of people are looking um, for wisdom, for shortcuts, for, uh, you know, what's new. Um, people are growing. They want to stretch. They want to develop. And so uh, what a great place to do that and connect with some of the thought leaders. The great um, conference. Yeah. So, well, you know, for, for our episodes, I, I, I want to have you kind of introduce yourself. I, I mean, I know you kind of as an author and, and I consider you a friend now. Um, but tell us what, what is it you actually do? You, you got your hands in a lot of things these days. No, like the question my family asked me about twice a year, what do you do? Yeah. Um, and you know, the joke is she's CIA, um, because no one can understand what we do. It's, but there must be something top secret, but no, it's not. It's just improvement. Um, and leadership development and organizational performance improvement and all those things. So. We have now two companies. Uh, so there's the longstanding TKMG Inc. is the new name, uh, which used to be the Karen Martin Group. So TKMG Inc., the consulting arm. And then four years ago, two weeks after the lockdown began, we launched our second company, which is the online learning platform TKMG Academy. And uh, it was rough go because there, are, you know, people really tightened their budgets right away and, and things like that. But we are finally, this year has been 
amazing. So it's uh, finally doing well. But it was our attempt to yeah, kind of put our, put our consulting in a bottle, of course, and offer it more, you know, it could get spread around the globe much more easily than us flying all over the place. I still love to fly all over the place, but um, there just were, there's so many needs. There's so many, you know, learning and development needs that people, you know, don't have all the skill sets they need to be highly successful. And so it was our way to extend our reach, you know, in, um, in, a, in an alternative way that might be helpful. Yeah, and and as a new generation of lean leaders and uh, continuous improvement people are emerging, um, what a perfect timing! You know, some of the tools are twenty, forty, fifty, maybe even a hundred years old. So uh, your timing seems pretty good, despite the pandemic start. Yeah, hope so. I mean, so far it seems like it's it's serving what it was supposed to do, so it's good. Absolutely. Well, Brian and I have been talking with with guests and obviously visiting companies, and and we've been hearing this theme about you know, rapid growth and, um, you know, really trying to get their house in order. And so this return to fundamentals is, uh, is a theme that just keeps coming up and people are not super familiar with the tools or they're, or they're relaunching. And so I, we wanted to bring you on and talk about value stream transformation, all the tools, all the concepts kind of under that umbrella. Um, so just in, in your words, what, what is value stream transformation? So value stream transformation is taking a look at the entire work system that it takes to deliver value to customers. And they could be internal customers, but mo most of the time we're talking about an external customer. Uh, we, we use the term sometimes a, value a support value stream or a value enabling value stream when it's an internal customer, um, like say the HR, the HR hiring and, and onboarding value stream is one of the most important value streams there is, possibly more important than the operational value streams. And, um, and so there's this value enabling and then value delivering. There are two different you know, aspects of value being delivered. And the work system element of it is what is so critical because a lot of people do get confused between process level mapping and process level analysis and value stream, uh, value stream perspective. And it's important to understand it's not one, you know, clear line between the two. It's a continuum. Um, but, but there's, you know, definitely macro and micro needs of an organization. And those two types of mapping uh, fulfill those two needs, strategic versus tactical. Karen, I saw one of your examples you had in one of your presentations, and it helped me really, you know, from a visual standpoint, really understand the difference. You had uh, an overview of a, I think it was like an, a freeway, and you had all the different freeways where they intersect, and that was kind of the macro. And then the micro was, you know, you're on the freeway, and all you can see is cars. You're really in the process. And right. so that, that was a great example to help understand. But when, when is the right time to, to use which tool, I guess, is, is something that comes up and I hear from people a lot is they get too granular or maybe yeah. at times they're, they're too zoomed out. Yeah. So a uh, good question. And it's not a real simple answer, but one of the ways to think about it is that you need to get into the process when you're, for example, starting to get your arms around a standardized way of working and documenting standard work. You know, you have to get to the process level for that, that you really can't do that from a value stream perspective. It's too high. Uh, on the other hand, the reason why value stream perspectives are more helpful before you get to process level is that much of the time leadership are, they're not aligned on priorities or the 
even the way to go about making an improvement that needs to be made at a high level. Uh, so the value stream work and the conversations they have enable, if it's well facilitated, this is, they, it enables them to come to consensus more quickly so that the teams, it's almost like passing the baton in a you know relay race. Once the baton gets passed after value stream work to the next level down in the organization, then they can just zoom and start getting results and not have someone go, hey, whoa, 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 what's Joe doing over there? Why is he doing that? You know, what's Sally doing? Why is she doing that? You know, because they've already had that conversation. So it's really, you know, I say this all the time, it's not about the map. It's really about the transformation plan that results from the map. And to get to the transformation plan, it's really about the conversations and decisions and consensus building that leads to the plan, which then gets executed. So it's it's nice to, in fact, you know, the book that we wrote, Value Stream Mapping, we fought like the Dickens to not have mapping be in the title. Like we did not want this to be about mapping because that's not going to make people successful. As Michael, you said something about, you know, wallpaper when we were talking before we started the, po the podcast. And oh my goodness, if I had a dime for every map I saw on a wall that had nothing behind it as far as results went, um, you know, I might be in Tahiti. <laughs> oh, it's important that the map is the means to have the right conversations, reach consensus, and then take action. Yeah, well, that's key. Well, and and I've done my share of maps that ended up as wallpaper and, you know, done my share of maps where, you know, the leadership would say, well, we knew all that. You know, there's there were no surprises. There were no learnings. Um, so you know, walk us through the process. What what are the steps of the mapping and, and what are the things to look for sort of at each phase so that we don't end up in that trap? Yeah, so I've actually had the opposite experience where, where leaders, you know, many, many, many times during a mapping activity, they usually last three days, sometimes four if it's a very complex value stream. They'll say, like, I had no idea. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. And and I love that because it's giving them a, you know, a slice of looking at work through a lens that they've never had. It's like, you know, getting being half blind and then getting a pair of glasses in and that suddenly restores your your vision and you're like, "Oh my goodness, I didn't see this." And so so I love that part of it. Um so the first thing is you got to start with the charter. Uh we are charter fanatics. They, most people at first glance don't understand what it actually is. It's really a, it's not just a scoping device. It's not just a clarification device on who's going to be on the team. It's really a conversation tool to make sure that everyone understands why, why are we doing this? What do we hope to achieve from this? How are we going to know if we did well? How are we going to measure success? What are the possible barriers to success? How do we mitigate them up front? Or what do we do if they appear? You know, the, the chartering process, yeah, it's an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper if you print it. One monitor, it looks like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, you know, but it's so much more than an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And most organizations undervalue the time it takes to get a well-crafted charter together. Um, and they don't necessarily understand that you have to go slow to go fast. And taking the time to plan and plan well will pay off in droves as far as the depth the team can get to and the speed at which they can get there. I, I could see that with without the charter really helps get people aligned. I could definitely see that. Who who typically takes on that role? Is it someone in leadership or or someone more in the operations role? And I guess today 
we're speaking mostly about manufacturing since that's that's sure. most of our audience. Yeah, so we we like to have a very small core team, you know, two to five people max. Uh, the executive sponsor, there's always an executive sponsor and yeah. vice president or above, uh, often C-level, depending on the size of the organization. Uh, but if it's a very large organization, you know, it's usually a VP level. Uh, so they're in the first call, at least, if not all of the planning calls. And then, you know, maybe the VP of operations or, you know, you know, sometimes a manager is a high level, you know, the, the role, the name of the roles do vary so much from organization to organization, but, you know, it's someone who's going to actually be accountable for the results. And then, you know, a couple of key functions within the value stream, you know, maybe some of the functions that um, seem to be more ripe for some major improvement or change in what they're doing and how they're doing it. You know, they might be on the core team. Certainly the facilitator, which, you know, in our case is, is us, you know, as outside facilitators. But if a company wants to take it on themselves, then certainly the facilitator that they're going to be using to, to do the mapping should be in that. Those are early calls as well. Yeah, I love your emphasis on that, on that leadership support. Again, I think that was one of our failure modes is, you know, we didn't have VPs saying, you know, hey, we want to be involved in the charter, you know, and really interpreting the map and, you know, discovering. Um, and the other thing is you mentioned, you know, maybe up to three days for a complex process is I think when we first learned the tool, everybody got in a hurry, you know, let's just get through this as fast as we can and get back to work. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't as much revelation when you, you know, maybe you skipped a couple of, you know, walks of the process. You just drew what you thought was the map and said, well, that's, that's what I think. I don't see any opportunities, but if you went and saw it, you might, you know, the map might guide you to where the, you know, the hidden secret is. And you might, you might have a little bit more uh, awareness of the problem that, at hand. The walks are critical. And we sometimes walk twice, not just once. Um, depends on the value stream and what problems they want to solve. Uh, and it also depends a little bit on logistics and whether or not, you know, people spread out all over the globe that are in the value stream or whether they're in one location. Um, certainly easier when everyone's all in one location. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, is that the, the data, you know, so, you know, this was my revelation and my learning was I started out, I learned value stream mapping in 2002 and started, you know, going out to organizations of all kinds, mainly manufacturing in the beginning, but then eventually all kinds of industries. And I, I brought a guy into the TKMG team from McKinsey um, and he was one of the ones that you know, it was a really, really um, authentic, organic growth kind of guy for, as far as lean goes. He, you know, he was he got his hands dirty. You know, he was one of those really early lean people that got it and was very good at it, is, is very good at it. And we were at a client and he said, so are we going to have a data ask? And I said, oh, that's so McKinsey of you. And, um, and, you know, and we were joking and that was like, you know, I'm serious. Like there's, there's timestamps in a computer. Why should we take up all their time guessing about what the lead time is when we have data that will tell us what the lead time is from one operation to the next. And I was like, well, that's kind of genius. <laughs> I mean, this is like five years in. Right. And, um, and so, you know, he led the data ask and I learned oh my goodness, like that is crazy that we haven't been using data all along. And so now data is a big part of the ahas. And so even if there's some reason why you can't walk the value stream, there's some logistical constraint in the way, the data is often what makes leaders go, wow, we had no idea. Um, because, you know, the, 
when you when you look at things through an improvement lens with data, it's you know you see all kinds of gaps that need to be closed. So it's uh, I can't I can't um, overemphasize the need to get good data. Yeah, Karen, I'm curious. You know, when you think about data, you know what what is the data that makes a leader or somebody who's involved in this process just sit back and go, wow, I I, I never realized this. Is it you know customer places an order and then the time between when that order is received until they start working on the the product for the customer? What are what are kind of those aha moments that happen when you look at that data? Uh, that's definitely one. I mean, that that is a common one. It's often just also the, the total lead time and not understanding the the timing of an order. And, you know, some of that's just you know, naivete in the measurement acumen that the organization has and, you know, immaturity and understanding how to use data and, and how to gather it and do something with it. So another thing is demand. It is stunning how many organizations don't even understand the daily demand or monthly demand facing them and the demand variation. You know, and when leaders start looking at the ding, 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 you know, in demand, I think, and you wonder why it feels chaotic and you wonder why staffing is so dang hard and why production schedules are so dang hard, you know, to get right. You know, this, this is it. So let's figure out if there's any way to level demand coming in and then certainly level it when, once, once the demand's there, certainly level all the operations that you can within that work system. And um, so that, that's what I also had one where they were using five-year-old assumptions about demand and when demand peaks occurred and the the timing on the demands had shifted significantly. It was a gradual shift, but from five years ago to the day we were working with them, it shaped, shifted uh, significantly, but the scheduling never sh shifted. And so, you know, they were wondering why they either had too many people sitting around with no demand or they couldn't meet demand because it was coming in like Lucy and the Chocolate Factory. And, um, and it was because they were using just old, old data, old assumptions that um, wasn't current. I think the, the original value streaming mapping, you know, book said, you know, go get these data elements, change over yield you know, inventory, you know, all these different things. Didn't really talk much about the variation. Didn't talk about plotting it, looking at, you know, seasonality. And uh, so that was our revelation as well. Not only, not only the demand, but, you know, you'd go out and observe a changeover or look at, you know, look at a pile of inventory and say, well, that's interesting. That's what it is today. But then you pull the data and you find out that that was an anomaly. Or right. maybe, you know, maybe the, the yield was good that day because everybody knew you were watching them. And right. uh, so you have to really, you know, maybe walk the value stream a couple of times, pull the data, you know, take into account uh, the variation. Yeah, we usually pull data over a pretty long time period to try to uncover as much variation as we can. I mean, you know, some of the files we get from clients are like 40 gigs, you know, there's a big files. And, um, and also the other thing that I think organizations don't do well is in getting the right data that they need. So when I say by that, what I mean by that is, what you need is raw data so that you can manipulate it any way you need to to understand the truth about the current state. And oftentimes, you know, organizations have done these canned reports that maybe they made sense. Most of the time I find canned reports are way, way lacking in, in, in meaningful information from an improvement perspective, way lacking. And, um, and so, you know, every time we start with a client, they want to give us these canned reports. And every time I try to play nice and say, okay, sure, give me your canned report. Let's see. 
I'm like, now this is what we need. This is what we need. I need raw data. And <laughs> so, you know, so, um, I mean, I don't think I've had an exception where, where a canned report gave the team everything they needed. It's not just, you know, what I need. It's what the team needs. It's actually yeah. not about me. I'm just guiding, you know, the ask and doing the work because they're learning how to do it. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's really important to get raw data, no calculations, no formatting, no nothing so that you can do anything you want with it. And Karen, a couple of follow-up questions for you here. So we, we talked about, you know, kind of, we're going through this linear flow for, you know, if you're going to do value stream mapping, you get the charter going, figure out who's going to be involved, timelines, goals, um, this data pool, does this happen? Is this part of the, as you're developing the charter, you're also pull, okay. Yeah, and you then, have to go clear first so that you know for sure what you're going to be focused on yes. or you know for sure what the problems are, at least the perceived problems are in the value stream um, so that you are asking for the right data that will shine a light on those areas. Got it. And and I guess one question we didn't get to when we think about the charter, uh, who's who's involved? We talked about leaderships involved and, and I guess how many people do you involve in this? Like. I always go back to the, you know, if it's, you know, it takes more than one pizza to feed the team, if the team's too big, is it that type of situation? So we are, we, we are rarely 100% rigid on anything, but we are extremely rigid on no more than 10, period, end of story. We've tried 11 multiple times. We've tried 12 multiple times, 13, 14, 15, like, it just doesn't work. I mean, 10 is the magic number and ideally six to eight, you know, um, the, in manufacturing, it's easier to keep the team smaller if you're only doing a production value stream, only analyzing a production value stream. If you're getting into enterprise value streams that involve product development and supply chain and possibly revenue, gen uh, re revenue collection on the back end and warranty work, those are big and there's a lot of departments involved. So, so that, you know, you almost always have at least 10, or not at least, 10. I'm sorry. Yes. I slipped. I slipped into 10 years ago. <laughs> Ten. Ten only. Ten, ten is ten, enough. Ten, <laughs> ten is and, enough. And, and when you pull those ten people, you're trying to figure out who to, who to involve. I mean, obviously, you're looking for people who are eager, want to participate, I imagine. Uh, what, what are the... Not always? No? Not always. <laughs> okay. You know who I love having on the team is the one person everyone says is a jerk. <laughs> you know? They, they're like, oh, I don't... You know, he never agrees with anything. He's so surly. You know, and I the minute I hear that, I'm like, I want this, this person on the team. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know what? My experience has been literally 100% of the time, A, they're right. Whatever they're complaining about, they're right. They may not have a great method for complaining, but they're right. And second of all, it heals so many relationships in the process of doing this work because people finally see that this person's right and this person finally gets hurt. <laughs> And they finally see action about the thing that has been problematic all along. And so that part of it is, you know, a beautiful thing to see everyone come together and kind of, you know, decide to work nice with each other from now on because he was right. She was right. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a huge benefit of the process. I, I love bringing in the different disciplines because sometimes they don't really talk. They don't cooperate. This gets them in the same room. And then I love yeah. your idea of having the antagonist. You know, the grumpy one, the one that's got all the complaints, because, you know, you, first of all, you get a chance to turn them around and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and, and maybe, maybe have a little more positive outcome, but yeah, you, they usually are right. And they're going to call a spade a spade. 
Uh, yep. And maybe they didn't even need the map to do it, but, but they're there and they're mapping. And uh, so, yeah, this, this collaboration and, and have you had teams where you've had like infighting where, oh. you know, you know oh, yeah. wars and, and, you know, Hey, we don't want to do it this way. And, you know, I use a different template and I use Visio and we, I mean, we talked about the tool itself, even people arguing about the tool. No, like, so we don't, there's no tool. When we do mapping, there's, there's paper and post-its. So, so, you know, it's afterwards that we put things into electronic format for just, you know, easier archiving and distribution and things like that. Um, so, and the other thing is, you know, let's talk about the word tool. Like I actually don't use the word tool hardly at all anymore. I have it for many, 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 many years. Value stream mapping as, is a method. It's a practice. It's an approach. It's a way of thinking, you know, it's a way of improving. I mean, you can call it anything. I, I shy away from the word tool yeah, because it minimizes its power. It, it seems to make it like this perfunctory thing that you can argue about. And, yeah. you know, you can't argue about value stream thinking. Um, you know, it's, 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 I mean, why would you argue? Yeah. We should think holistically. Isn't that kind of a <laughs> And so back to your question, though, about, you know, the infighting, um, you know, Usually it's not horrendous until the future state. Current state is kind of factual. You know, there's nothing to really argue about. They may have different perceptions and different, they may have, you know, misunderstandings about the current state. But then through doing the current state work, you actually are uncovering the truth yeah. about the situation. So, you know, that that usually isn't where it gets a little spicy, as I call it. Yeah. You know, it's future state map where people have different visions of how to achieve what has to happen. What we try really hard to keep the team focused on is not the how, but the what. So if the transformation plan, I'm skipping ahead now to the transformation plan, which in our case, we start with just an Excel sheet with lines and each line is a Kaizen burst or, you know, some activity that needs to occur. They should mostly be framed as problems to be solved. So we're not getting into how to solve that problem in the mapping activity. It's just uncovering the need for and then the prioritization of those gaps to be closed. And not all of them get solved. You know, I mean, if, you're, if your cycle for improvement is, say, six to nine months, you know, depending on how much opportunity there is within the value stream, you probably can't get to all of them in that time period. So the, the prioritization part of it becomes really essential um, so that the team isn't getting jerked around and they, they have, you know, clear, a clear path to making a better value stream, getting better flow. Yeah. I love that focus on, on the how, or, you know, not the how, but the, but the, what, what is the problem and not, mm -hmm. not saying, you know, Hey, I need to put my project on that map. You know, they've already got a solution and a project in mind and just, Hey, let's, let's just talk about the problem for a little bit. That, that seems to buffer that quite well. Yeah, like it really does. And I want to go back, Brian, to something you were starting to say. You were starting, I interrupted you and said, no, bring them on the team. They're, you know, the, the cantankerous one. I would say you don't want 10 of those, those types of people. Yes. You, know, yeah. you do want the people that are, you know, more um, interested in looking at work and have a little more of an open mind toward the fact that, you know, the operation is, is currently functioning the way it's currently functioning because of some set of decisions that were made at some point and conditions may very well have changed since those decisions were made. That process may have made total sense and been genius when it was developed, but now conditions have changed. It's time to think about work a little differently. 
And, you know, sometimes people don't, you know, don't embrace this thought that batching isn't necessarily a great thing. And, and the opposite, batching isn't always bad either. So, um, you know, so there's new learning that happens as well. Well, let, let's keep moving along this kind of linear path here. We, we talked about the charter, the data pool. What, what comes next? What's kind of step two or step three here? So typically we walk the value stream as early in the process. Once we have the team together and we're starting our, you know, three days together, whatever. Oh, I want to go back to one more thing. I'm sorry. Um, I do hear from people all the time. I mean, more often than not, I hear, you know, I don't know how you get this level of leader to sit in a room for three days. Yes. And, and you know, so here's a couple of things. So honestly, being an outside consultant that's being paid a decent amount of money, there is, you know, people take us seriously because they're, they're investing. And so I feel bad when internal people have tried to get that same leadership team together to do some mapping uh, and they've been unsuccessful. But I also have a lot of ways. I've been doing this so long. I have a lot of ways to get leaders to see that there is indeed value in them coming into that room for three days and blocking out the rest of the world and being able to focus on one thing and getting one thing done well. And, you know, not not having the interruptions and, you know, just getting the continuity of thinking and and all of those things done, which it would take, you know, eight months to get through if you let normal life be the the driving force. And so and then the other thing is, is that never had a leadership team and a mapping activity and say, well, that was a big old waste of time. Never. You know, there's so much learning, especially if you're at the right level. You know, you have to make sure you're really at a value stream level and you have to make sure that you're talking about strategy, organizational strategy a lot as you're doing the value stream work so that they stay engaged at a leadership level, which is where they should be. So, yeah. you know, that that helps a lot to be able to do that. But, you know, getting leaders to agree, I mean, you have to explain the why and you have to be compelling and explaining the why, because they do have a lot of competing priorities and, and pools and friction that they have to deal with and things like that. So it's, you know, you have to sell, sell it, do baby. You, do you find that your clients are, you know, when they're trying to get, you know, a, a, an executive leader on board, potentially, are they, are they trying to, you know, solve a problem is, is how they're presenting it. Like, this is a real pain, you know, we've been, you know, missing our, our targets or whatever it might be. We're not hitting our attack time. Um, are they, are they framing it that way or is it more framing about what the future could look like? Well, I don't know what they say when I'm not present. What, when I'm in the mix, it's all about the gap to be closed. So it's about the current state and, and not thinking about the future yet other than the promise. You know, I, I do believe very much that people love having hope you know, and they they are more engaged when they have hope. Now, if the hopes get dashed, then you've kind of gone back four steps. But but so you have to follow through on that hope trajectory um, and deliver. Um, but they but people do like to have some hope. So one thing you can do in the beginning is, you know, be clear about the pain of the current state and then just, you know, talk about the hope that that pain goes away. Um, and the promise that that pain can go away. And, um, that, that sometimes helps. I mean, leaders want to sleep at night. You know, they don't yeah. want to worrying about deliveries not being missed and partial shipments and customers calling and not getting paid and <laughs> the myriad things that happen and equipment downtime and 
you know, I, they don't want to think about that. So um, usually it's pretty, if you find out what their pain is, and if there's a direct tie with with the value stream that people want to look at, it's easy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense just from, you know, the way people think, you know, we're much more motivated by by pain than gain. So absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So continuing the traje trajectory, walking and then mapping. And then after current state, which you know, I'm kind of making this seem really simple, current state's not easy. You know, there's a, there's a lot to, and you have to be careful you don't get into the weeds. So I always feel like I'm pulling people out of the weeds, you know, and keeping them at the high level so we can progress. Once you get to the point where you have a pretty decent current state, decent enough to react to, that's all the, that's the only purpose of the current state is to react and to, you know, have a springboard for then designing the future state. And, um, and so we tend to do a little quick exercise where we say, okay, you know, forget about the current state now. Now think about perfection. You know, this is like, it used to be called blue sky and um, Nirvana. Some people call it and everything. Mine's a, I don't know if it's really blue sky or not, but it's just saying what would be ideal. And so in a manufacturing environment, they might say what would be ideal is hundred percent delivery on time. Uh, equipment never goes down. There's never injuries. There's like, like you, you, you paint this picture of perfection. And then you have the current state. You now have this picture of per perfection. I find that that springboards the innovative thinking far better than not doing that step of what perfection looks like. And I'm talking 10 minutes, 15 minutes max. It's yeah. not like an hour or two discussion. It's very, very fast. They go to the wall, you know, whiteboard, flip chart, paper, whatever. And they're like, you know, like, we want this. This is what would be ideal. We could go home. We'd be happy. You know, and life would be good. That so, is, seems like a really powerful exercise because Michael and I were talking about, we talk about this all the time. People get so rigid in their thinking, you know, based on, you know, past circumstances or resources or whatever. They live within these, these limitations that, you know, they've been surrounded by for so long. And this exercise gets them to think, well, what if you didn't have those limitations? Mm -hmm. What could ideal look like? What could that future state look like? So yeah. I definitely could see how that'd be a, a power ex powerful exercise. but. You're saying it's only 10, 15 minutes to do yep. this. Um, how do you move so quickly through something like that and get people to, yeah. you know, wipe away the, you know, kind of preconceived, uh, you know, thoughts about how things should be? Well, you have to be convincing, <laughs> but, but it's more than that. It's really forget about it. Forget about the current state. Like just clear your brain of that. Like we're going to brainwash, you know, clear it out. What's perfection? Like, just forget about the current state. Define perfection. That's all I'm asking. And people know, like, boom, 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 what perfection looks like. It goes very, very fast. And, and you have to move them, too. I keep, like, I, I speed up my speaking, you know, and I, I go, go, good one, good one, next, you know, and to keep them accelerating. And that's, that's how you can get it done really quickly. Wow. Well, you're, you're making me realize, you know, I, I was hoping this is a methodology that, you know, somebody could pick up and implement at their own company, but I'm seeing that the facilitator plays a really important role in this process because it is, it is very complicated. There's a lot to it. Well, it is. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't try because I had a first mapping experience. Mike, my co-author, he had a first mapping experience and, you know, we're not the same facilitators we were back then, thankfully. Uh, you, know, you learn, you learn every time you facilitate. And so, 
you know, it doesn't mean you have to have, I'll, I'll tell you the one big advantage of having an outside facilitator in addition to skill set and experience is the objectivity. That's the one thing that, you know, when you're going to develop some internal resources to facilitate these things, man, they've got to be mature and they've got to, they've got to really know how to check their ideas at the door. And, um, they, they should be kind of not even part of the value stream. If you ask me, you know, because it's too easy to get sucked into your knowledge of the value stream and your bias about how things should be. And especially with future state design. So um, that is the one big miss that a lot of organizations that only have internal facilitators, you know, have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Maintaining that momentum that, you know, you, you know, the process so you can keep them moving along and you know, keep them on a timeline as, as well as I, I like your, you know, your, your cheerleader aspect, you know, that was great. You know, it's hard to do that if you're in internal, I think it's, it's much, mm -hmm. much easier. Um, and then, yeah, then asking the question, wouldn't it be great if, or what if we did it like this, or, you know, think about the ideal state or the nirvana, whatever phrase you got to have somebody in the room that can, that can talk like that. Yeah. What would have to be true if da, da, da. And that's another yeah. good question. That's a great what one. Would what would have to be true? And that way, you know, it's not true today, but what would have to be true in order to mm -hmm. achieve that tomorrow? Um, you know, the other thing I was just thinking about is that on the future state, in addition to the skill in keeping people moving along and, and all of that, in the future state, it's the ability to see whether a team is grasping what's available to them. So, so a lot of times the people in the room don't even know what pull is. I mean, we teach them what pull versus push is, um, but they'd have never experienced it. So it, you have to sometimes show them options. It can never be your idea ultimately, but you have to show them the options and, you know, show them what pull could do. And then it's up to them to decide whether they want to try that for the future state or not. And so, you know, that's one thing where, when I started mapping in the very beginning, I didn't even have a good command of all of the, the you know, kind of industrial engineering kinds of, of, of choices you have. Um, it took me a while, you know, to really understand when to push the batching and when not to, when to, you know, turn to pull if possible, you know, or not to, when to, um, uh, well, work segmentation. When do you take work with variation and make two lines for it instead of merging them into one? You yeah. know, there's, you know, there's just so much to consider um, but again, at the value stream level, you don't have to make those decisions. All you have to decide is that you want to solve that problem. Yep. Whatever that problem is. Yeah. Well, so maybe I'll later then. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say that, you know, people get the, the practitioners probably get real excited about flow and pull and maybe we've seen it. Maybe we've got a theoretical model and, uh, to bring your team along to, you know, sort of envision some of that future state is, is really a, a skill. I think you. You have to cast that vision somehow, show them, tell them, simulate it. Uh, but then it's mm -hmm. back to reality. It's like, well, yeah, the machine breaks down every hour or the changeover is too long or, you know, it's, it's some of more of the blocking and tackling and that's more of our reality. So is there, is there an interim state that you talk about as well? Yes. So it depends on the value stream on whether it can be pretty heavily transformed in a, so I said six to nine months earlier, we mm -hmm. typically look at that as being kind of the sweet spot for yep. the plan. And the plan 
when we're do doing the future state design, it's designed with that time frame in mind. Yeah. And most of the time, organizations bite, they think they can bite off way more than they can chew. I'm like, do you know how fast three months goes in business? It's like, boom, you know, and three months has passed. And so we have to be realistic on how much with other, all the other projects that are going on and all of that stuff. And so the problem with having it only three months is that you're going to get very little improvement done in three months. I mean, you can get something substantive, but, um, but you know, if you're talking about transforming an entire work system, there's a lot to be done. The problem with 12 months is that people sometimes go, oh, we've got a year. You know, oh, yeah. and, and they're kind of like slacking in the beginning and getting distracted and everything. So six to nine kind of has a bias toward action. Yeah. Uh, without it being too short to get something, you know, a lot of things substantive done. So, and then, and then, you know, the organization has to also face the music. You know, if you want things done well and done more deeply, then you have to take things off of people play of people's plates in order to, you know, get the time frame, get the time freed up so that they can actually do the work. So, you know, it's it's if you have strategy deployment in place and value stream transformation as part of the, you know, the cascading down of what needs to be done in order to meet the strategy, then it has a much higher chance of getting resourced the way it needs to be resourced in order to get the, the results that could be gotten. And another reason why you, you need leadership involved uh, yeah. in, in this process. Karen, can we go back though? Because we, 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 we hit on it very briefly, but mapping the current state, you said you're always having to pull people out. People are zooming in too much. But what should they be focused on? Because what is the right level of detail as you're mapping out the current state? So again, you know, everything's a little situational, but the guidance we give is that the total map for a production only value stream map from order to delivery or shipping. So for that, no revenue, no warranty, no nothing, no product development, no supply chain stuff other than getting supplies in, but no developing the supply chain. Um, that if you have if you have like from left to right, you can have some parallel steps and processes in the in the place. But from left to right linearly on the map, you shouldn't have more than like maybe 10 post-its because each the way to think about it is each post-it is a you know activity that then there's another post-it because there's a delay. So there's a delay in the middle of all post-its. If work's flowing, they all go on one post-it. So the, the break in the timeline is what just differentiates whether you need another post-it or not. So that break in the timeline could be the buildup of WIP, work in process. It could be a quality problem. So rework is going on. It could be um, you know, resourcing, staffing problems. It could be equipment breakdowns. It could be long changeover. You know, whatever it might be, if there's a break in the timeline, that's kind of when you have another post-it. So you think, you know, 10-ish. For enterprise-wide, you know, we've had them go as big as 20, um, but usually that's really big enterprise, like a greeting card company where the map was everything from ideation of a design all the way to it's in a store you could go buy a card. That's how far we went. It was crazy, but it was good. <laughs> it was really good. So um, go ahead. It sounds like, though, this, this isn't so detailed to where, you know, I don't have a post-it for every single work stream for a particular product i'm i'm summarizing work has started and i'm staying very high level i'm not getting into those details that you know well maybe one component is you know headed into polishing and paint and another component is over here in grinding 
it's it's not at that level. That's more of a process map. Is that right? Uh, it's usually operation. So grinding would be on it. And what was okay. the first and What was the first operation? Oh, I, I gave an example like paint. You know, paint would be polishing the paint. Yeah, polish and paint would be opposed to it. Yes, you're okay. that, but you're not at every step that they do to do the polish and paint or to do yeah. the grinding. Okay. So the operation is the is on the post-it. That, that seems like the key piece to understand then. Like you do detail at that level. You just don't go into the detail. Well, like we're going to, you know, polish and we're going to use this, you know, particular pad and we're going to polish for this long. And then it's right. going to go to quality to do a quick check on polishing. Um well, another thing that we should mention, and we could talk for three, four, five I hours. Know. There's so much. It's so fun. Um, so we're here doing the charter. Another part of the value of a charter is the scoping. And so, you know, people often try to map too much, too much variation. So we often will take, a, you know, a product family. So it might be different SKUs going down the same line or the, or the multiple lines, whatever it might be. But they're going through the same equipment, same staff, kind of, sort of, and all that stuff. That could be one map. It might be a map. It might not be, two, you know, it might need to be two maps. But when you get to the product family, then when you're, the reason why people go in the weeds is that when you get to, say, polish, they'll say, well, we have a problem with this, that, and the other thing. So it is important to understand at a high level what's causing lead time to be extended and what's causing, we call it process time. Some people call it cycle time. It's the touch time to do the work. What causes that to be extended? And then what's causing quality problems at that operation? You have to get to that level, but you have to stop at, at that understanding for the current state. And what people often want to do is they want to talk about well, the problem with that is because of, da, 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 you know, and, we, and you have to move them on because you won't get the map done in enough time and enough time for the future state discussions. So that's that's the pulling people out of the weeds is getting into that level of detail. Yeah, I could I could see how this would be a challenge, especially with like a uh, company. You said a product family with a lot of variation, right? Uh, colors, components, you name it. Um there's a lot of opportunities for things to go wrong when you have that much variation and it's really easy to to zoom in on those details but what what you're saying here is like still stay high level with those you can pick out the problems but how do you pick out the problems and not be so granular that you're picking out every problem for every you know like when we make this variation of the product this is the problem that happens we make this variation this is the problem how do you how do you avoid getting you know stuck in that yeah, so oftentimes there isn't a whole lot of variation. So on a map, you can definitely have a little bit of branching, but it's not a Visio chart, you know, so it's not like yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. It's not that, you know, so you can have a little bit of branching where one variant, like you can even have a variant goes through the next operation, then the next operation, and another variant skips that second operation and goes straight from one to three. You know, you could have stuff like that and you could even have different lead times depending on the variant. But the, you want your map to be easy to understand and make sense and drive what it's supposed to do is drive the future state design. So you don't need to know everything. And here's the interesting irony of, of doing mapping with really good scope. I'm going to go back to the green card experience. So when we did the charter, there were two variations that were on the charter that was going to be the map. The map was going to be every any card that was considered an everyday card. So not special cards for Christmas and not special cards for Easter and all that. But 
but everyday cards for birthdays and, you know, all that stuff. No more than two extra processes. So extra processes are ribbons, music, glitter, embossing, whatever. And when we got done with the current state, that list had extended to about eight different variants that that current state map represented. And that was because as we were going through the map, it would, they would say, well, it depends. If it's this, it's that. And so we had to say it's only everyday cards. It's only two operations. It's only when the moon is full. It's only, like, I'm, but it's like all these, and that current state only represented 10% of their business. Yeah. And leaders got very nervous about the, look, oh, that's only 10% of our business. Like, like why, why are we paying this woman to come in here and do 10% of our business? Uh, but the future state, and this happens all the time. It's just the magic of this, doing this work. When you have that real narrow focus, you can see almost always the same patterns that all work has. And when you design the future state for that very narrow set of circumstances, it actually usually solves 80% of what you're dealing with. And so that's, that's just, you have to kind of experience it over and over to go, well, this is just the way it goes. You know, it, it, you zoom in and then it, you can zoom out. With okay. The you're really helping me here because now you're making me understand that it isn't about solving all these problems that we're having necessarily. It's about designing the future state, the optimal, you know, future state that we want to have for, for this particular product family. Why is work not flowing? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's really what the current state is, but why is it not flowing? Why is it so hard? You know, why is it not so good when you go home at the end of the day? What, like, though, that's what you're trying to get clear on. And then decide which elements of that lack of flow are the highest priorities to work in, work on. Well, Michael, I'm going to turn this on you because I'm, I'm curious now because you, you know, Karen's got all this experience as a facilitator, which is different than, you know, somebody working, you know, within a big manufacturing company. You've done this many times. Is that where people tend to get stuck as they go too far and too, they, you know, get into the details, the weeds too much, and there's no one to pull them back out. Well, it was my comment earlier was, you know, that interim state, I think, you know, process engineers, uh, supply chain people, they, they want, they want that, you know, three month, maybe, maybe even 30 day window. I, I can go solve some small problems and, um, losing track of the, the bigger problem, the flow, the pull. Um, you know, and, and you can draw them on the map and then look away and say, yeah, but I got to solve, you know, this, this minuscule problem right here. Um, and so to keep them aligned and, and to keep them focused on, on a, a true future state is, is really the challenge. Um, I, you know, I love the outside facilitator angle. Um, you, you, you command a certain attention. Um, they may listen differently, you know, internally people are battling their day jobs, their, their priorities, their metrics. Um, it's easily to, easy to get pulled back to that, you know, what difference can I make in this value stream tomorrow uh, and, and forget about that future state. So that's been my experience is that they, they might see it, they might get it on the board, but then it's right back to he, today's problems today. Yep. Well, the other thing on the charter, yeah, this charter is really, really powerful. Very important. And, yeah, and I could see why. The other thing that's on the charter is quantification of a, a desired future state. And so you're putting numbers to the place that you'd like to go. Now, yeah. rarely, but occasionally, the current state numbers are not known. And that's because of any number of reasons. But sometimes data has never been collected. Sometimes it's tough to pull out of the system. You know, there's all kinds of yeah. reasons. 
but the future state, like what should it be is the question. And it's like, you know, even if we don't know the current state yet, what should it be? And are you there yet? And they'll go, no, no, not even close. So it's like, all right, well then let's go with that as our, you know, our version one of, of the success factor is going to be that we're going to go for this. Now, if we find that in six to nine months, there, we've unturned, we've overturned so many stones and there are so many worms underneath them. There's no way we can possibly clean it up in three to six to nine months. Then you have to, you know, pick your priorities. But that, and we go back to the charter over and over and over during mapping. It's like, okay, good idea, good problem. Is it going to get us to this number? You know, and, and holding yep. up the charter, like, is it going to get us there? Well, is it get, we, it, what's going to be easiest to get us there that's also not going to create another problem? And it's going to hopefully make quality better and safety better and all those things. And so, um, you know, you, I, those future state metrics are really helpful as you're going through future state design. Yeah. Yeah, we had one plant manager that really was great at managing that cadence, that six to nine months, keep the metrics in view, and then always saying, hey, we, you know, this, we're not done after this. There's another future state. And, and he was very diligent about doing that. And so then my role as a coach was more about just helping manage the projects, getting stuff right. done, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. I didn't have to worry about that vision. I didn't have to worry about pulling them out of the weeds. So yeah. it was really a great partnership. And that went on for many years. I, I think he had a, I don't know, six or seven year run of mm. nine month improvement things. And when you strung those all together, by the way, it was amazing how close, yeah. you know, he was getting to that ideal state. And you wouldn't have seen that within any given map. Um, right. It took that many years to actually get there, but, but he stuck with it. He was in leadership for that long at that location. Yeah, I mean, we could get going on that whole problem where leaders aren't there long enough to to make an, any dent. Follow through, and, yeah, yeah, and follow through, yeah. It's, and then the new leader comes in with new priorities, and oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll keep us flowing here because I I like where we're headed here. We we've talked about the charter mapping the current state, mapping the future state. What what happens next after you map that future state? Transformation plan. So that's taking the discoveries. Um, from or, or taking the future state design and starting to make it real, you know, so that you're going to get things done. So the transformation plans that we use are very simple. They have, you know, rows or, and again, Excel rows. Each row is a project to be a problem to be solved or a project to be implemented and you know executed. And, you know, very often there's some kind of major IT block that needs to be done. And that's, we don't frame it as a problem to be solved. We just like, you, know, you just need to fix the software so that it does what it's supposed to do, that type of thing. Um, yeah. But for process design stuff and, and workflow, it's typically a problem to be solved. So every has a line, every line has an owner. Uh, ideally, all the owners are on the mapping team, not outside the mapping team, so that they're, you know, they have a vested interest because they've been through this whole process, like being on jury duty. You know, you you bonded over this drama, and um and so ideally they have that. There's a plan owner. There are plan meetings. You know, status meetings to check in, make sure that the and there's a Gantt chart, Gantt-ish chart. It's very high level, but there's a Gantt-ish chart on anything that has dependencies where they have to finish one project before they can start the next one. You know, th those are indicated, and um 
and there's, you know, a status column for is it on target, is it off target, and what percent complete is it? And so that plan manager, it sounds like, Mike, you were the plan manager in many cases, that you would yep. be driving that and facilitating the, the sessions to see if there's obstacles in the way. And, you know, occasionally there's a line item that actually drops off the plan because you think one thing when you're in mapping and then when you get into the real world lab and you're starting to mess with stuff, you know, sometimes a need goes away and sometimes a new need arises. And so the plan isn't in cement at the end of the mapping activity. It's firm-ish, you know, um, but you have to be responsive to conditions that arise. So is that what you did, Mike, when, when, when you yeah, were? Yeah, very, very similar. I, again, the best part of that story was the, having, having that, that, that vision not changing, that, that, you know, that future state, the, you know, the progress moving forward. And somebody, you know, removing barriers, um, and and keeping us out of the weeds. So yeah, there's there's definitely a project management type role, um, mm -hmm. a lot of accountability. You know, hey, what if something is slipping behind? How do you how do you pull the help chain? You know, just with any with any kind of project, but here you're more laser focused uh, with all these these interlocking parts that have to work together to get to that future state. Yeah, and I might also mention back to the metrics for a second. You know. Usually teams are afraid to be bold with their predictions for the future state metrics. And, you know, let's just say it's inventory um, turns. You want to increase inventory turns. You want to shrink lead time. You want to um, just have more uptime for equipment for whatever reason. It could be changeover re related. It could be maintenance related. Yeah, it could be yeah. like, like, those, are, those are the goals that often go on a charter and they're good goals. But what we try to do is project what that means to the business. So if you keep those lines humming, if you're able to get those turns up, like what does that do to cash flow? What does that do to revenue? What does that do to operational expenses? What does it do? You know, and so we're always trying to understand. We're not trying to rearrange the chairs on the Titanic. We're trying to build a new ship here. Yeah. And, and that that's sometimes hard and that's why you need senior leaders also by the way if you get people too low in the organization not only will they not have the vision to understand they also don't have they haven't ever had the authority to do any of this work that was really big and so it's you do involve them in mapping when you're walking you're talking with the operators you're learning what their work experiences are like you're learning what they see as obstacles you know you are involving the front lines but the the team is biased toward the future state design. And so you need people with authority and, and vision, you know, and can say yes to things. And if you get too low, and we see a lot of teams who are way too low in the organization, people go, but Karen, you always say involve the front lines. I go, yes, after a value stream map, then you involve the front lines. Um, and you involve them during the walks, like I just said, but it's it, your, your team has to be biased toward having the authority to say yes to big, big ideas. The big stuff. Yeah. Well, and that well, ties back to our conversation last time, Brian, about growth, focus on the big things and, and move fast and, and you create the capacity for growth. This is, I mean, I think this transformation uh, methodology, as, as we said, enables growth. I mean, that's, uh -huh. that should be, that should be one of the things on your radar that you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. They're a growing market for sure. Yeah. And I really like what you're saying here, Karen, because th this is often the problem I've seen in manufacturing with employees is they they get too granular on the the benefits. 
Uh-huh. And like you're, you know, we need to speak in the terms that the CFO is going to understand when they need to approve that capital expenditure. Yeah. Well, shoot, we're going to be able to, you know, increase, you know, production by 10%, 15%. And what that means for the business return on cash flow. Um, I, I really like that. I guess for a lot of people, though, that's not a skill set that you naturally develop in manufacturing unless you're leading a division, you're responsible for a PL. How how does someone gain those type of skills to be able to think that way? Um, are there, and I guess this is kind of setting you up, but are there any resources that you've made available through your academy, um, you know, around this topic? Uh, not yet. We, uh, for 2024, we have a short list of high priority courses and one of them is quantifying improvement. So that will touch on this. Uh, the other one's facilitation techniques. So that'll also be relevant. Perfect. For uh, project management's launching in about three weeks. Um, mo- no more than three weeks. It might even be two weeks from now. So that'll be our first kind of non, you know, the traditional things you think about with lean, you know, it, project management isn't necessarily one of them. It seems like it's this other thing, but we're making it very much a part of the, the lean skill set that's needed um, or operational excellence or business performance improvement or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> so wait, I'm sorry. You asked me about Okay. How does one learn? So, you know, we teach a lot when we're on site with a client, we're constantly teaching them how we're doing what we're doing. We give people the spreadsheets with all the formulas in it and say, you know, reverse engineer this. The next time you have to do this, you know, look at the formulas and if you need help, call us and we'll, you know, we'll help you figure out what we did. Um, And so there's that. I mean, I think you have to do real world work. It's like watching the math teacher and going, oh, I got this. And then you get home and you're starting to do your homework. You're like, I don't have this. You know, <laughs> I, have, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so you, you need to just practice. Um, and then the other thing with when it comes to money, the other thing I will say is that teams often don't take the step that they need to take and make sure the CFO or controller or both agree with what they're deeming to be of value. And what I mean by that is that 50% of our clients over 30 years of doing this have very much agreed with free capacity as being something worth measuring and and honored in the company. And 50% of CFOs have said, I don't give a hoot. It's not changing my bottom line. And uh, and so you have to make sure that you're not losing credibility out of the gate because you're suggesting that freeing capacity you know, is a valuable thing when the CFO doesn't agree with that. So that's, that's one thing I would say. And again, that's back to the charter. You know, that's yeah. part of the chartering process is making sure leaders are aligned with how do you measure success? Is freeing capacity a success factor or not? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I'm glad we're adding those modules to the academy. I can't wait to see them. Those are, yeah. those, those are lost fundamentals in my opinion. So um, more power to you bringing those, bringing those back to the forefront. Well, there's a reason why they haven't been launched in the first four uses. They're they're, they're going to be tough to write, you know. Well, they it's, are. It, they're, it's we didn't say yeah. it was easy. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's about important. Yeah, Karen. The the theme here underlying, you know, a lot of this transformation or this methodology, there's a lot of selling that has to happen within the organization, and I I think that's the other key to maybe consider if you're thinking about doing this is you need to have somebody who's really good at selling uh, internally on your team. Yeah, you know, I call it lobbying a lot. And lobbying. my 
my, my, but Mike uses a word that is now my new favorite word, advocate. You have to become an advocate. Advocate. Um, and I think people respond to that a little better than selling. You know, I, I, like I, I use selling all the time too and improvement people all the time. Like sell, that's not my thing. I'm like, well, you better learn. And you know, Dan Pink had that one book to sell as human. Yeah. 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 That was a good book. It didn't, it didn't sell as well as like drive and. I forget the one more recently that sold really well. It didn't do quite as well, but it's a great book mm-hmm. about you're, you're selling when you're lobbying for who, what movie to go see with your friends or loved ones. You know, that's law. That is selling. And that's influencing. That's, you know, getting people to see things through your perspective. It's not browbeating. It's, you know, having honey and getting the flies to come <laughs> to honey. You know, it's, it's, there's so much technique there. So that also will be a challenging course, but I, I do like that idea, Brian. Thank you. Yeah. And, and still being humble and saying, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's that balance. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to start using that word. Yeah. Advocate is a great word. It is a great word. Thank you, Mike Osterling. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> well, Karen, as we wrap up here, you know, you mentioned, uh, the, uh, Kieran Martin, it's the, the TKMG Academy. Is that right? Dot com? Yeah. TKMGAcademy.com. And then the name of your book, in case people want to go out and read it and, and try and implement this at their company or, or hire you maybe, uh, what was the, the name of your most recent book? Oh, Clarity First. Oh, Clarity First. And then there's Value Stream trans- value stream Mapping, which was the one you shared earlier. Uh, right. Yeah. That one. And then there was The Outstanding Organization also. So Okay. <laughs> We'll have to there's, do there's, there's we another episode on clarity first. Um, that's, no, I tell you, clarity is so important and it's really tough for a lot of organizations. It is. Really tough. There's a lot of psychology involved. Yep. Yeah. It's well, we'll see that for an, another episode. <laughs> Love to. You guys are fun to talk with. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah. Much. Well, Karen, thank you so much for the, the time today. You You helped me understand value stream mapping much more than I did before. So. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, course on that too. Great, great. Well, well it's, it's so true. We have, we have. It's two part course that I teach. So, um, you'll yeah. you'll have to uh, share some coupon codes for uh, voices of uh, manufacturing listeners. All right, let's do it right now. Okay, okay. great. What? Tell me what you want the code to be, and what what's the code? What percent off do they get? I don't know. You t- uh, how about V O M for voices of manufacturing? V O M. Okay. And then. Uh, you tell me what's a fair percentage for our audience. I don't know how how loyal was your audience. Do they deserve more? <laughs> oh, they're 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 the they best do. audience in manufacturing. Yeah, well, they're hungry. All right, hungry to learn. I think fifteen. Yeah, that that Let's do it. Vom fifteen. How about that? Vom fifteen. Okay. Love it. All right. We'll, I'm gonna it right now. Perfect. We'll include this in the uh, the listener notes when we when we go live with this episode. Okay, that sounds good. You know what? Let's make a VOM twenty. VOM twenty. Okay. Why? Because VOM I I looks like I five. It started reminding me of a bad word. So VOM twenty. Okay. Great. <laughs> All right, Sharon. Well, thanks again for your time and your generous offer for our listeners to to check out your courses at the uh, Karen Martin Academy. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Karen. MGAcademy.com. Thank you. And great. Thank you so much for having me on, you guys. I'm glad that we waited a year. And, um, you know, it's just always lovely talking with you both. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks. 
Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Voices of Manufacturing podcast with Brian Salee and Michael Mullenberg. This show is brought to you by Dazuki, the premier digital transformation solution that allows manufacturers to standardize operations. Our website, where you can listen to our episodes and find tons of helpful resources, is dazuki.com. Sign up for our monthly newsletter so you'll be the first to know about new episodes. That's dazuki.com, and join us in creating the front line of the future.